One of the tests of the success of a mission is not the crowds that come. It is rather, are there little children in the audience? And there were young ones scattered about the altar yesterday and here this morning again. And then one of the children, imagine, got up at two o'clock this morning and made for me some raisin bread. Greater love than this no woman hath, that she should arise at two o'clock in the morning to make raisin bread. Now you heard the story of Jonah, both in the epistle and in the gospel, first and second reading. You did not get the whole story of Jonah. Now I'm going to tell you the story of Jonah, and then I will give you the lesson from it. Jonah is listed as one of the twelve minor prophets, and God sent him to the wicked city of Nineveh. Well, Jonah was a Jew. God to him was not the God of the Gentiles. Why should he go to pagan people? So Jonah took a boat to Spain. That probably was the Tarshish that is mentioned in the gospel, in the prophet. And on the way, a storm arose. And it is interesting that as you read that story of Job, now read it in your Bible. It's only about two or three pages long. It's the shortest book in the scripture. And you often find God made a storm to arise. And God sent a fish into the sea and so forth. And God arranged that the Jonah should be swallowed up. Well, a storm came up. And the sailors, for the most part, were pagan sailors and rather superstitious. So they took lots. Maybe they got, got long and short straws. And everybody on board the boat had to draw a straw. And the one with the shortest straw, say, was the one who was guilty of the storm. Well, Jonah got the short straw. And he said, yes, he said, God told me to go and preach to the Gentiles, but I refused. And I'm the cause of this storm. Remember, the failure of one can be the cause of the failure of many, as the salvation of one can be the cause of the salvation of many. For example, one man stole a Babylonian coat in the Old Testament, and Joshua lost a battle on account of it. God said, it was on account of that man that you lost the battle. So Jonah's tossed into the sea, and then he's swallowed by a big fish. It is not actually a whale that is mentioned, but at any rate, a big fish. I know of a teacher who was asking the boys after the story of Jonah, 
What lesson do you get from the story of Jonah? And the little boy said, I get the lesson that people make whales sick. <laughs> so Jonah is swallowed by a big fish. I was lecturing at the University of California last year, and at the end of the lecture I was asked questions. And one student said, how was Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days? I said, I haven't the vaguest idea. But when I get to heaven, I shall ask Jonah. He said, suppose Jonah isn't there. I said, then you ask him. <laughs> so you, you have the prayer of Jonah in the belly of the whale. And then the whale spews him out on the land and Again, God gives her the order, go and preach penance to the city of Nineveh. Now that's the story that was read to you, is preaching of penance, and the king ordered it. But the very interesting part of the story of, story of Jonah is left out. Jonah wanted the people to be destroyed. You see, God said, I will destroy them if they do not do penance. Well, Jonah was afraid they would do penance, and then he would be accused of being a false prophet. And so Jonah went on a hill. He was bald-headed. And he went on a hill overlooking the city of Nineveh. And the sun just scorched his bald head. And there was a little plant that began to grow, maybe a gourd, with a big leaf. And it shadowed the head of Jonah. And he was calm, peaceful, and cool. And then a little worm came and ate the plant. And then Jonah began to scorch again. And God said to him, you had nothing to do with that plant. And now when it withers away, you are angry. And God said, shall I not be mindful of the 120,000 people in Nineveh who know not their right hand from their left? And there are many cattle? Now, this is the story of Jonah, God's concern for the Gentile people, for the missions, really. But we find it in the New Testament. See, our Lord speaks about it. He said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man must be in the belly of the earth for three days. In other words, as our blessed Lord would be crucified and buried for three days and then rise from the dead, so in the past Jonah had undergone his passion, his Good Friday, in the belly of the fish, and then comes again to life on the shore. This is what is known in Scripture as a type. Incidentally, that's the way catechism should be taught in Bible history, by types. Our young people should be told the story in the Old Testament and then told about how it was fulfilled by our blessed Lord in the New Testament. If you have two hours and a half, I'll give you an example of it. Our blessed Lord said to Nicodemus, 
as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. Now in the Old Testament, the Jews had disobeyed our Lord. They were bitten by serpents. God said to Moses, make a serpent of brass. Hang it up on the crotch of a tree. And everyone who looks upon that brass serpent will be cured of snake bite. Now, there's nothing in a looking at a brass serpent that's going to cure snake bite. Nothing. But it was a test of their faith. Would they obey God? And all who looked upon that serpent of brass were cured of the poisonous bite. Now our Lord comes along and says, I'm that serpent. This is one of the few instances in which the same word that is applied to evil is applied to good. Another's the lion. The devil is a lion. Our Lord is the lion of Judah, meaning that when the Antichrist comes, he will act like Christ. So our blessed Lord now says, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so I'll be lifted up on the crotch of a tree. And as that brass serpent looked like the serpent that bit the Israelites, but had no poison in it, so our blessed Lord on the cross would look as if he were guilty of sin, full of the poison of human guilt. But as the serpent of brass had no poison in it, so our Lord had no sin in him, and all who would look upon him would be healed. Healed of what? Of guilt. I always think of that whenever I pass the Blessed Sacrament. I, I have a, a three-room apartment, I have a, a bedroom, and then I have a, what was originally a small bedroom, which is the chapel with the Blessed Sacrament, and then I have a study and a tiny little kitchen, which is big enough for my culinary talent. And whenever I pass the Blessed Sacrament, and I would do it a hundred times a day in the apartment, I always think of this passage of our Lord, so that I look upon the serpent on the tree, our Blessed Lord, to be healed of the poison of sin. Now, this is what is known as a type. And I say that's the way religion should be taught, particularly the Scripture, because the Old Testament is full of types. We, we do not have time to mention a few others, but just take my word for it, and you'll find them fulfilled in our Lord. Now, our Lord, you see today, in this gospel says, Jonah is a type. He's a type of death and resurrection. Jonah in the sea, our Lord in the tomb. Jonah out of the sea, Christ out of the tomb. That is the Old Testament fact and the New Testament fact. Now the lesson. The lesson is that unless there is a cross in our lives, there will never be a resurrection. 
The Christian law of life is we have to die in order to live. Now I do not mean, and he did not mean physically dying. He meant mortification, self-denial. The application of the cross in our lives. So that unless we die to ourselves, we cannot live with him. We do not like the cross in our lives. As a matter of fact, we'd like to escape it. As I told you last night, that's the essence of the demonic, the escape from mortification and cross and the penance. On one occasion, the Greeks came to our Lord. And we do not know what the Greeks asked our Lord. But we can guess it because of the answer of our blessed Lord to the Greeks. I think the Greeks said to our Lord, and this was within two weeks of his crucifixion, if you stay here among these people, they're going to kill you. Why don't you leave this land? Come to Athens. We're the country of the wise men. We've only killed one great mind in our history, and that was Socrates, and we regret it ever since that we gave him that poison. So if you stay here, you will die. If you come to Athens, you will live. That they must have said, because our Lord could not quote, for example, the prophet to him. He could not quote Isaiah chapter 53 and say, no, it has been prophesied of me that I must undergo Good Friday in order to have Easter. So he appealed to nature, because the Greeks could understand that. And he said, unless the seed falling to the ground dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it comes forth unto life, and bears fruit ten, twenty, and a hundredfold. And that was a lesson the Greeks could understand. And this is the lesson of Jonah, the lesson of our blessed Lord, and this is the essence of Christianity. Remember, Christianity is not easy. That's the reason we have the interest in Oriental religions today. Because, well, it gives us the joy of having a religion, but it does not cost us very much. But Christianity costs something. Grace is not cheap. We just cannot walk through life into the kingdom of heaven. Now let me see how long I've been talking to you. You see, I do not want to uh, talk too long, but look at the interest here. So I'll tell you a story. Come here, you in the middle. Come here to me, the boy in the middle. This young man here. Come here. How old are you? How much? Four. He is four years old. And here was a little boy who was looking up here, very, very interested. Now, so you create the problem of how long 
How much more should I talk before will you get bored to death? Uh, listen, I will tell you, I'll tell you a funny story about long talkers. So you go back to your place now and listen to it. I was once giving a talk in San Francisco and a gentleman spoke before me and as he arose, his wife who was in the front table handed him the program and she wrote on the back of it a big K-I-S-S, Phyllis. And when he finished talking, I said, wasn't that nice of your wife to send you that message? Oh, he said, it doesn't mean what you think it means. It means keep it short, stupid. <laughs> now, coming back to the lesson of Jonah, our blessed Lord, and the Greeks. We have to work out our salvation. And there will be crosses in our lives that we make through mortification and self-denial, and then there are other crosses that are imposed on us. For example, sickness, particularly of children, now, what, what do we do with crosses? Poor health, for example. And then injustice from others. Well, we have to unite it with our Lord on the cross in order to use it to purchase our eternal salvation. About a year ago, I was talking to Pope Paul VI and I said to him, you're well named. Named Paul. Paul, as he went from city to city, was stoned, from Lystra to Derby to Antioch of Pisidia. And so I said, you are stoned by your own. Yes, he said, I opened my mail at midnight, and in almost every letter is a thorn. And when I put my head on my pillow an hour or two later, I really lay it on a crown of thorns. But, he said, I cannot tell you what ineffable joy I have to suffer. And then he quoted the 24th verse of St. Paul's letter to the Colossians. I fill up in my own flesh the sufferings that are wanting to the passion of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. In other words, I suffer all of this for the sake of the church. That's how we use suffering. I think the great tragedy of this world is the suffering that goes to waste. People suffer and they have no one whom they can love. Love does not kill pain, but it diminishes it. I was lecturing in a city in Florida about two years ago, 
And I saw four or five wheelchairs in the front of the stage. And after my lecture, I jumped off the stage and went down to talk to the people in wheelchairs. Well, over against the wall was something that looked like a Grecian statue, all white. And I went over, and it was a woman in an iron lung. And she was swathed in white. You couldn't see the arms. The only part of her body that she could move was her head. And she said, I'm a convert of yours. I said, I've never seen you before. No. She said, it, but it, was from, it was from reading some of your books. And I said, do you understand your cross? And she said, yes, I do. I am not suffering for my own soul. I am suffering for other souls to save them. In other words, there was the death in order that there might be the life in others. I have a friend who spent 14 years in a communist prison, and he was tortured during these years because he always preached the gospel of the Lord to the other prisoners. And he would be taken out from amidst the other prisoners as he was talking about the good Lord, and he would be put on a spigot and turned, and then his heels would be beaten with an iron rod as they turned him. And I, then he said another time, they put me in a cell with starving rats. And I said, what did you think about when you were put in a cell with starving rats? Well, he said, I thought about the words of our Lord on the cross. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Those were the Aramaic words our Lord spoke from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now he said, I'm a Hebrew, born a Jew, so I understand the, the language well. He said, these words are in the past tense. Past. So our Lord is not saying, why are you abandoning me, but why in the past did you? So he said our Lord was abandoned by the very fact that he was born. He was abandoned by us. Our Lord, therefore, he said, must have been looking to the joy of resurrection. Having joy set before him, he endured the cross. And he said he considered, therefore, his crucifixion is past. Because he knew that he would come to life. So he said, that's the way I regarded the rats. I have trust in the Lord. I'm not going to perish here. I'm in his hands. I'm going to consider the rats as all finished. So he said some of the rats sat down and philosophized. They were too hungry to move about. And others nibbled at the rags on my feet. And after five days, they had not touched me, so the communists took me out of the prison. They knew that it was useless to keep me there with the starving rats. Summing it all up, as Christians, we have one law, Good Friday, Easter.
Nothing is ever accomplished that is worthwhile without some self-denial and mortification. If you have a cross, bear it. It is his. And you will be glad of it and for it someday. Your salvation is assured. I slipped his fingers, I escaped his feet. I ran and hid for him I feared to meet. One day I passed him, fettered on a tree. He turned his head and looked and beckoned me. Neither by speed nor strength could he prevail. Each hand and foot was pinioned by a nail. He could not run nor clasp me if he tried, but with his eyes he bade me reach his side. For pity's sake, thought I, I'll set you free. Nay, take this cross, said he, and follow me. And so did I follow him who could not move, an uncaught captive in the hands of love.